Well, it's been nearly eight months since Russia invaded Ukraine and the conflict shows no sign of abating. But in a rare concession, the new hardline Russian general in charge of the offensive in Ukraine, Sergei Surovikin, says Russia's defence of the occupied southern city of Kherson is not easy as he orders thousands out of the city. And the new recruits from the Russian mobilisation announced last, late last month are now hitting the front lines. And we're hearing some interesting reports on them. To talk us through all these latest developments in this conflict, I'm pleased to welcome back to Saturday Extra retired Major General Mick Ryan, a strategist and the author of War Transformed, and someone who's gained considerable reputation internationally, I might add, due to his explanations. Uh, Mick Ryan, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back with you again. Yeah, we haven't spoken to you for a while. Look, I wonder what you make of these tens of thousands of civilians and Russian-appointed officials being moved out of Kherson, the Kherson region, by Russian forces. Uh, can you explain what you think is happening there? Well, what the Russians are doing here is twofold. Firstly, they're continuing these um, exfiltration initiatives to de- um, uh, de-Ukrainize, I guess you'd call uh, these provinces that they've annexed. They want to make them as Russian as possible um, to legitimise Russian rule over these provinces. But the second purpose here, um, as repulsive as the first one is, I think the second one's even worse. I think they will use these civilians as cover for Russian soldiers for when they commence their withdrawal across the Dnipro River from uh, the west side of the river to the east side of the river. They're, they're hemmed in there, aren't they? This is what I've been trying to read, and there is a suggestion that they are going to be hemmed in by the banks of the river. Uh, absolutely. The Ukrainians over several months have had a, a pretty clever campaign to cut off um, all the Russian routes for withdrawal across the river. Um, the Russians have a couple of pontoon bridges they're operating, but they're very limited in capacity. So I think the Russians' next move is to use civilians as cover to try and preserve some of their army, which on the west bank of the Dnipro contains some of their best units. So the Russians really can't afford to have a mass surrender on the west bank of the Dnipro. One, they'll lose a lot of their army, and secondly, uh, reputationally, it will look terrible and will be bad for morale for Russians back home. Now, uh, Zelensky has been warning of um, desperation governing the Russians' action, warning of mine planting. Near, am I right? Is the dam that he's talking about in this region? Yeah, that's right. It's um, to the north of um, Kherson city. And this is a very important dam. Uh, not only is it a crossing site, but uh, it uh, provides water that uh, goes in a canal all the way to Crimea. So if the Russians were to destroy it, they'd cut off that water source for Crimea. But also the water that is in that dam is also used for a nuclear power plant uh, in Zaporizhia. So, you know, there's a whole lot of really awful outcomes um, that might result from the Russians blowing this dam, um, including, you know, flooding that will probably kill hundreds, if not thousands of people downstream. Now, is there any evidence that that is likely to happen or is this, again, sabre-rattling by Zelensky? Well, there's, there's some evidence that the Russians have done this. Um, the reality is, however, a dam of this size would be extraordinarily difficult to blow up. It would take a huge amount of explosive. It doesn't mean the Russians wouldn't do this, but it's certainly within the realms of possibility. Uh, now, let's move on then to the other pretty dramatic uh, news that Iran's... Um 
Revolutionary Guard Corps was on Ukrainian soil at a Russian military base in Crimea and they were reported to have been deployed to help Russian troops deal with uh, with the Tehran-supplied fleet of drones, which do seem to have been having some impact. Is there... What do you understand about this relationship that suddenly seems to have sprung up? Well, the um, Iranian Quds Force have generally set a pretty low bar for behaviour and generally fail to achieve it. Uh, I mean, they're a pretty repulsive bunch. They were targeting American and other soldiers in places like Iraq. Um, They know exactly how the Russians are going to use these drones, which is to attack Ukrainian cities, and yet they've still deployed their people to Crimea to help the Russians hone their ability to do that. So, you know, these Iranians in Crimea um, now make themselves combatants in this war. They have deployed to support a belligerent in the war against the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians would be within their rights to target them. Uh, This seems to have followed the visit by President Putin to Iran earlier this year, which I don't think a lot of people took much notice of. Uh, I don't, I mean, in fact, the history of Russian-Iranian relationships are not not good. Relations are not good. So uh, is, is there a sense coming through that this is the beginning of something more or is it just a very expedient need to, co- to cover those drones, which do matter, do they not? I think this is more an expedient relationship. Uh, the Russians have found very few other nations have either the will or the capability to help them. The Chinese certainly haven't uh, with any technology or munitions. The Iranians um, are willing to do so. So I think this is more a transactional, mm. short-term uh, arrangement. I don't see any long-term strategic relation um, relationship emerging from this. Um, it's causing collateral pressures, I understand, in Israel, for instance, because Israel's been playing this very tricky role, shall we say, because it's got the the Russians um, keeping the Iranians, you might add, I'm, I'm, some, I'm general, generalising, under control in Syria, um, <laughs> just very close to Israel, and they have uh, resisted overtly becoming involved. But I gather that there have been calls with the Iranians in there they have been calls uh, for the Israelis to send some of their um, surface-to-air missiles or their missile defence systems to uh, Ukraine. Now, have you heard any more on that? Um, As far as I know, the Israelis have resisted the provision of any military assistance to the Ukrainians. Additionally, the Iranians have not allowed third parties to re-export Israeli arms to Ukraine. I mean, this is... Um, not a great look for the Israelis, regardless of their threat from Iran. Uh, The fact that they aren't willing to help a fellow democracy in need um, really says something interesting about uh, Israeli politics at the moment. It's not going to help them, I think, in the medium term with their relationships with countries like Europe that have really um, provided a lot of assistance to Ukraine and in some respects have been hampered by Israeli resistance on the re-export of their arms. Yes, well, speaking of Europe, there's recently been this letter of intent signed for a European Sky Shield initiative, which I think the Germans have promoted. Can you tell us a little about this, please, and how it might work? Yeah, this is really interesting. This came up uh, just over a week ago. Um, There's 15 European countries, um, all of them NATO, with the exception of Finland, which is a pending NATO nation called the European Sky Shield Initiative. It is being led by the Germans who produce some rather excellent air defence equipment. 
Um, indeed, the Germans have been very quick to follow through on their, pro their promises. They've already deployed um, one of the very latest uh, medium-range air and missile defence systems called IRST to Ukraine. Um, I expect that this will um, make some fairly rapid progress within the realms of the production capability of European defence industries. And, and this can be all, it's all interoperable, is it? Everybody can use it. Like it, it, it's not just, uh, you won't just have to have Germans in there helping you. Well, there'll probably be some training for the Ukrainians, but one of the characteristics we witness of the Ukrainian military throughout this war, they've been very quick to absorb NATO technologies, whether it's been HIMARS or or artillery or trucks or, or some of the armoured vehicles that many of us have sent to them. They've been very, very quick to absorb these things. So I'd expect uh, they'll be able to do the same thing very quickly with these air defence systems around uh, what might be key Russian targets in cities and power infrastructure. Um, in late September, Putin announced a partial mobilisation to boost the Russian army. Now, some of these conscripts are seeing active duty now. There are reports some are not faring too well. Should they be believed? Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that these mobilised soldiers from Russia have had minimal training, um, a week or two. Uh, they're very poorly equipped. Um, many units have asked parents to pay for body armour and helmets. If you just imagine... Is that true? What Is that true? Yes, oh. yes. so that, that's happened in multiple uh, instances. And if you imagine... Uh, if Australian parents are asked to pay for body armour and helmets for Australian soldiers, how that might go down. Um, we're seeing uh, surrenders by these mobilised soldiers. We've seen, at least in one case, a potential mutiny where they shot their officers before they surrendered. Um, this is not a group of soldiers who are deploying happy uh, and uh, it's going to cause some disruption for the regular forces who are going to have to look after what are very inexperienced, clumsy and probably dangerous soldiers coming into theatre for the Russians. Um, I think there's, there are a range of reports, apart from those extraordinary things you're telling us, um, that uh, some of those military bloggers have said some of the newly mobilised servicemen have been deployed without any pre-combat training at the order of um, Mikhail Zuko, the commander of the 58th Combined Arms Army of the Southern Military District, and that uh, Ukrainian outlets have reported that the Kremlin arrested him due to the combat losses that were suffered. Now, is, do you know about that? It's interesting, isn't it, how you call the Russian government out for something and um, then you get arrested. It's happening quite a bit in the mill blogger community now. They, they were pretty open um, up until a few weeks ago. Indeed, Putin was using mill bloggers as one of the sources of what was going on in the war. They seem to have cracked down on them because the mill bloggers, are, I think, are sick of what they call fighting with one hand be tied behind their backs. So there's been a crackdown on them. But really what they're reporting is a massive number of reports of poor leadership, poor equipment and poor training of these mobilised troops. Gosh, that's, uh, those military bloggers, yes, we reported on that a couple of weeks back. Um, can you see an end to this war, Mick? Uh, not this year. Um, you know, the Russians, despite their setbacks in the last couple of months, and, and indeed they are on the back foot, still... Uh, occupy a large amount of Ukrainian territory, somewhere between 15 and 18% of Ukraine's territory is still occupied by the Russians. The Ukrainians are going to have to push them out. Uh, Putin has shown no inclination 
to take a step backwards. So this war is probably only going to end when the Russians leave Ukraine, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, and the, I, just per- pertinent to that as well, um, there is the Ukrainians have imposed a, a blackout, apparently, uh, a news blackout. Uh, and various people have said, usually when that happens, it's on the verge of, they're on the verge of a big move, I presume, going back to the Kherson region. Um, have, have you had any particular intelligence about that? Uh, if, I, if I did, I probably wouldn't share it in public. <laughs> but, I mean, these kind of news blackouts aren't unusual. Uh, we've seen them in previous wars before. I mean, we saw it in the Falklands War in particular, uh, but we've seen them in the Gulf Wars and other places to preserve the security of forthcoming operations. And essentially what it does is protect the lives of their soldiers so they're able to do what they can do without it uh, becoming public too soon. So um, what this portends, potentially there could be another offensive uh, or there could be something else going on. But, um, you know, I'm reticent to talk about uh, these kind of sensitive issues publicly because the lives of Ukrainian soldiers are at stake. Mm. Um, All right. Well, look, that's a bit depressing that you don't think it's likely to end uh, this year, but it means we'll have you back. Thank you, Mick, uh, very much for speaking to us. Thanks, Geraldine. Good to talk to you. Mick Ryan, a strategist and uh, recently retired Australian Army Major General, and naturally we'll keep very much a watching brief on that, uh, that huge story. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.